Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. This morning as we sang, holy, 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 it is about the fear of the Lord. It's about who He is, and it literally is, He is God. And I've been meditating on this, this whole topic of He is God for a while now, and just sitting in the, the reality of what does the Lord say um, about himself, what does he call us to, and what does it look like when we, when we focus on who God says he is versus what our society says God is? And they don't always match up so well. And so today we're going to start off uh, with a bit of a video, actually. And um, one of the verses that stands out to me in 1 Kings 18.21 is when Elijah got up, and you remember the nation was in just disorder and disarray. There was just brokenness and Jezebel and Ahab and all the stuff. And there was a famine because there was a drought and all the things. And Elijah gets up and there's this call of God. And he says this, it says uh, in 1 Kings 18, 21, Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And so this basic thing, this basic, if the Lord is God, follow him, that's what we're being led into, is this, this I'm going to give every day that I have to the one who is God. And I believe a lot of the obstacles that we have, a lot of the issues that we face, a lot of the things that are kind of... Um, you know, hovering, well, did God really say, or is that really in the Bible, or is that really true, and is that really love, and is that, I mean, I don't know, if a good God would do that, or a kind God, like, we have these rationalizations, but at the end of the day, if God is God, we serve him. And so uh, one of the best ways of looking at this, I feel like Francis Chan actually nails this down. Now, giving a little um, disclaimer here. I don't, I don't know everything that Francis Chan believes. I know that in this particular topic, I completely agree with what he shares. Um, the last time I did a, a larger Francis Chan clip, the online comments were equally hateful towards me and him. So um, whatever. He's going to talk about the Word of God. So let's just turn our attention to the screens for a few minutes and lean in to the basic concept of the fear of God. spent a lot of years going to services and in churches and and listening to messages and watching different trends come and go and all the while there's been this frustration going gosh it seems like what I'd read in the Bible 
was pretty different from what I'd experienced in a church building in a church service. And, and, and I also noticed this trend where as things became more popular in the world, the church would follow suit and go, oh yeah, that's, that's popular here. And, and as people would say certain things are unpopular, the church would almost get embarrassed of those things, like embarrassed of certain doctrines, maybe even embarrassed of the way God described himself. One of the biggest issues that you see in scripture is, is this idea of the fear of God. I mean, I mean, the Bible says in Psalm 111, verse 10, he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it's not that there aren't a million other things to learn about God, but he says, you've got to start with the fear of the Lord, because that's the beginning of wisdom. And, and so for me to be wise and begin to understand God, it starts with a healthy understanding of fear. And, and because in the church, there was this trend where people were saying, yeah, that fear of God, that, that's kind of old school, you know, this hellfire brimstone. We don't, we don't really do that anymore. So in church, we start going, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't, let's talk about the other areas of God. But if we skip the fear of God, we won't understand the other areas. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And anytime someone would, would, would quote this uh, a verse on the fear of the Lord, because it's inevitable, it's, it's in there hundreds of times. But the moment they would say the fear of the Lord, they would say, okay, let's stop here and make sure you understand that when I say fear, I don't mean fear. It's, it's more of a respect. It's more of an awe. And I would read and go, are you sure about that? Because it sure looks like real fear to me. And, and, and when, when people came in contact with this God, it didn't look like just a respect or an awe. It sure appears that they are terrified. Years ago, I, I went surfing with some friends and it was probably a little too big for me, but you know, everyone was out, so I went out. and. I remember falling and getting sucked under this wave. I don't know if you've ever been under the power of a wave. It's happened to me several times, but this was so different because it was so powerful. It was like my body is just tumbling and I'm just tucked in there. And I am so scared because I'm spinning so fast. I have no idea what's, which way's up. My, my, my head is freezing, you know, in this freezing cold water. I'm getting nauseous. But the worst part is I'm feeling like, I can't hold my breath any longer. I can't hold my breath any longer. And it's just tumbling, man. I'm like, when's this thing gonna let go? And, and I'm saying, come on, let me go, let me go. God, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die. And then finally, finally, last second, it's like, I, I, I can finally see a little bit of light and I just reach out and go, <gasps> you know, I get to the top and I can take this breath. Ah, oh, but that feeling of just intense fear, you, you see, that's, that's what I see in, in, in the Bible. It's not like they think to themselves, okay, I should muster up some reverence now, or I should show them a little bit of respect. No, it's, it's this out of control, like Isaiah, the prophet, when he saw God, he just goes, I'm dead. He's gonna kill me. It's just this instant fear. John, the beloved disciple, the one that, that, that Jesus loved, when, when Jesus comes back in his glorified state, John sees him and he says, I just fell at his feet like, like I was dead. I just fainted, I just, I just passed out. That's what I see in scripture. It's not this, um, 
idea of this God that we can control. It's really weird to me how, how nowadays people talk about God with such an arrogance. Like they really believe that they're the first person that's going to be able to come before God and question Him, and that God's going to actually go, "Wow, I never thought of that before." You know, it's just this. How do we get there? I mean, think about it. If 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 Moses and Isaiah and John and even the high angels all have the same response to God, why would I think that I'm going to respond differently? Or, or, or that, that somehow I won't have the same fear. See, it's not even an issue of should I fear, should I not fear, should I talk? I'm just saying this is just reality. The reality is whoever you are, the moment you see God, you are going to fear Him. We all will. In Isaiah 44, verse 6, he goes, I'm the first and the last, and besides me, there is no God. Who's like me? Who's like me? Let him proclaim it. In other words, is there someone else that's like me? Then have him speak up. And, and, and he goes on and, and he says, I, I appointed the ancient people. He goes, if, if you think that you can match up to me, then why don't you declare what's to come? Okay, tell me the future. Because God goes, I know the future. I knew when you were going to be born, and I know the last day you're going to have on this earth. I know everything. Why don't you tell me the future if you want to come and challenge me? Those are the words that God uses. He doesn't say, oh, come on, come teach me something. He goes, no, no, you need to understand there's no one else. There's one being. There's always been just me, and no one can challenge you. You want to challenge me? Why don't you stand up right now and, and just tell everyone, hey, I could live without you. You see, this is the way God speaks, and I know, I know this isn't a, a popular way to talk because we, we want a more manageable God. We want a God that we can question and, and, and tell Him things and explain things to Him, but the truth is, is this is the way God speaks about Himself. And, and sometimes in, in our churches, we're almost embarrassed that our God is as powerful as He is and that He speaks so boldly about Himself and tells us to fear Him. But here's the, here's the crazy part about it, is the next verse, right after he says these things, in verse 8, he says, fear not. He doesn't say fear me there. He actually switches and says fear not. And it's, it's almost confusing at first. You go, wait a second. You're telling me who you are, and then, and then once I get to this point of fear, you kind of go, but fear not, nor be afraid. Now, now, why would he say that? You see, it's actually a very common theme in Scripture. For, for example, when Isaiah saw God and he's terrified, he goes, ah, you're going to kill me. Then God says, oh, no, 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 Isaiah, it's, it, it's okay. Um, I'm actually going to send one of my angels. And, and, and an angel takes this coal and he says, you know, Isaiah was saying, gosh, I'm such a sinner. I've said such bad things. And God says, no, watch, this coal is going to touch your lips. And I'm going to forgive you of everything. It's um, when John falls over like a dead man and just is terrified. Jesus goes, no, 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 don't be afraid. 
It's me, Jesus. It's the same thing that he's doing here. And he's saying to them, he goes, look, I am this, this, this is amazing God that you ought to fear. But once you get to that point, he goes, you don't have to fear me. The Bible says, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's, it's just this, but you have to get to that point. You have to get to this point where you understand it's not about you. It's about this, this being who is way more powerful than you. And, and rather than trying to challenge him, you can actually find security in him. See, what, what's amazing is God uses these terms in scripture. He calls us his children. Think about that for a second. The security of a child. I mean, I mean, I've got four kids, and and I'm not like this big tough guy or anything. But but if anyone tried to harm one of my kids, of course I'm going to try to protect them. And to think of the God of the universe thinking of me like one of His children. Are, are you kidding me? And and He uses terms like friend. I mean, think of the way you would defend your friends or, or maybe even die for your friends. And, and, and the crazy one to me, the, the really intense one, is when he refers to the church as his bride. If someone were attacking my wife, I mean, what an absolute loser I would be if I just said, to fend for yourself, honey. No, I jump in. I give my life for her. And to think that the God of the universe is calling us his bride, uh, there's a security we can have. I mean, that's where the security comes from. But you'll never get there if you're not willing to, to, to get to that point of fear. I think this would be a lot easier if we could actually just see him. I mean, can you imagine if we just got five seconds in his presence? It really would change us forever because then we would see, okay, now I know why I need to fear this God. And, and now I, I don't want to just flippantly disobey his commands anymore. I want to take him seriously. But, but, but not just that, but it would, it would change our whole mindset because we'd realize now that I've seen him, I realize there's nothing else to fear. Fear the Lord, the Bible says in, in Proverbs 19, 23. It says, fear the Lord actually leads to life. And, and those who have it rest satisfied. See, for too many years, we felt like the fear of the Lord was a bad thing. And we didn't realize this is the very thing that would lead us to life. Without the fear of the Lord, you're not going to understand why, why you should follow Jesus. Without a proper understanding of the fear of the Lord, we wouldn't understand the power that's available to us through the Holy Spirit. God wants you to fear Him because that's going to lead you to a life that you've never had. And it's a better life. It's a secure life. It's a life that we were created for.
Wow, sobering, huh? And life-giving. Lord, we thank you today, just as we spend some moments in your word, we thank you for unpacking for us and causing our hearts to land in the right place with our awareness of you. That we would be the people who fear the Lord in a way that is right, in a way that is true, in a way that is properly responding to who you are. Lord, I thank you for clarity today. I thank you for stripping off old bondages and for liberating us into the place of true freedom in you that comes from this place of life, this place of revelation. Lord, we give you our, your, our attention today. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would move in our hearts, in our minds. And we ask for next level revelation today in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Well, we're just going to take 25 minutes or so and dig this out a little bit further. You know, I love the imagery. It's a little bit weird if you're not um, one of the people who sees in symbolism or whatever, but essentially we sang this morning about awakening the church, awakening the bride, and we see it modeled in this um, video. We see the sleeping bride who is absent of the fear of the Lord. And as the awareness of the fear of God comes, there comes an awakening. And I believe that's a big part of what we see as the sleeping church in North America right now is a lack of the fear of the Lord. God has become common in a lot of places and it doesn't change who he is. He doesn't move to match our culture. He's God. And that's the core thing that we need to start off with today is just that he is God. And so as we walk through this today, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, go home and study. We won't spend a lot of time on this, but uh, number one, he is God and we don't define him. I remember a few years ago, um, when I say a few, I've lost a couple during COVID, so probably more than a few. Years ago, I always watched the Remembrance Day services on, um, on TV. I love the, the Ottawa one. I, I have always loved the moment where we pause and pray over the nation. And there's always that one minute of prayer. And I remember the year that all of a sudden, for the first time, whoever was the minister of the day said, we're going to have a moment of silence, and you can pray to the God of your understanding or take a quiet moment of contemplation. And I just about threw the remote at the TV. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? What, what, what are we talking about? We've now just taken this moment that has always been one minute in the middle of a national ceremony to honor God, whether people know him or not. And now we've just said the God of your understanding, whoever, whatever you think you want to think towards, let's take a moment and just con consider something I guess. And it was so weird to me, but it reminded me of the story that is in Acts 17. And the apostle Paul had this moment where he's, he's coming into an area filled with philosophers and people who love to talk about religion and thoughts and ideas and whatnot. And Acts 17, and we're going to read from 22 to 28, just to get a, a picture of this. Um, and it says in verse 22, then Paul stood in the midst of the however you say it, anybody, Aeropagus, and said, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. 
Great. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life and breath and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwelling places, so that they should seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are his offspring. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made of hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands. So Paul comes into this place of philosophers who are all like, and you know, they, they are religious. They have all kinds of religious practices and all kinds of things that they do. And he's like, I want to tell you that the true God doesn't really need anything from you. He's not waiting for you to serve him or provide him with anything or, you know, give him anything. He is the God who is worshipped in a totally different way. He is the true God. He has fashioned the earth. He has built us. We are breathing the breath that he has given us. And I love that in the the video that we just saw that, did anybody feel the thing when like the water's rising and you're, you actually are holding your own breath watching it? You're like, <gasps> oh right, I, I'm not underwater, okay. But it's that kind of thing. And so many times when we live in the religious realm where we are just trying to keep, if there's a God, we're trying to keep him happy. And if there's not, we're trying to do all things right so that the universe will see the balancing of the scales. And we, you know, you see people who are supposedly Christian going, well, karma, you know, or not, like we have this thing where we can, we can just try out all sorts of ways of engaging with something that's out there. And Paul's saying in this very clear way, there is a God who made everything that you see around you right now, including you, including every person that is walking on the face of the earth. And he is not waiting for you to come up with some way of impressing him He's God. And the clarity of that is so life-giving. Honestly, when we read about God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind, and the word goes on and it talks about because fear has to do with torment or punishment. The fear that we experience in the earthly realm has to do with actually an internal concept of separation from God, something that comes from the sinful realm. The fear of the Lord is something else entirely. And if we fear God, we have nothing else to fear. That is a life-changing statement. That right there, when we're living in a culture that is drenched with anxiety and fear and panic attacks, and fear just saturates our society. But the fear of the Lord silences all other fears. And so, so many times when we're just like, I need to, I need to have everything just fall into place perfectly around me so that I can be at peace on the inside. If we really will just look at God for who he is and surrender to who he is, the other stuff just drops away. Have you noticed if you have, um, 
Well, I won't ask for a show of hands, but when you are walking well with the Lord, and, and what I mean by that is you are confident in your relationship with him. There really is no fear of death. You can totally understand where Paul said, you know, if I go, it's good. If I stay, it's good. I'd kind of rather go. It's better for you that I stay. But <laughs> to live as Christ, to die is gain. There's, there's, there's a win on either side of this. That comes from the fear of the Lord. That comes from believing God is God. And he doesn't really need my opinion. He is not looking for me to define what he looks like. Acts 5 is a passage that we have kind of skipped as we've been going along. We're going to go back and hit it up today because it's one of the most freaky-teaky passages in the scripture. And it's one of the ones that we all know is in there, or I hope you know is in there, but we like to kind of go around it because it, it freaks us out. So if we look at Acts chapter 5, and it's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. I know. Happy summer vacation. Um, no, I mean, this is real stuff. So up until this, we've been, we've been, you know, reading about how the church is growing, how the spirit of God has come, and there's a, just a move of life that's happening. And people are sharing what they have, and nobody's doing without, and miracles are happening, and there's signs and wonders and salvations and all this stuff. And it says in verse, in chapter 5, um, but a certain man, I'm just going to read it down. A certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? To lie to who? Satan. To lie to the Holy Spirit, not lie to me. So often what we equate as the fear of the Lord is fear of the church. And that has created bondage over the years. If, if we are afraid of what the church is going to do, we're afraid of, you know, you're going to have to go and see the pastor. Or you're going to have to go. That is irrelevant. One day we will all have to stand before God. It doesn't really matter what the church thinks. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Pretty big deal. Verse four, while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not also in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. That is the fear of the Lord. So often we feel like if we can, we can clean ourselves up and we can put on the game face and we can do things right publicly and we, we can put on the image of the happy, shiny people, the happy, shiny faces, the happy, shiny family, all is well. If nobody at the church knows what's going on deep in my heart or behind closed doors in my home, it's going to be totally fine. Paul's just saying straight up, or Peter's saying straight up, why, why do you think you're lying to us? doesn't really matter to us what you're doing. You're lying to God. It's kind of a big deal. Now, this is maybe not the, like the most encouraging part of what we like to think of Christianity, except it sort of is. Because honestly, if it matters what God thinks about what I'm doing and saying, and it doesn't matter what other people are doing, thinking about what I'm doing or saying, then it doesn't matter what other people think about what I'm doing or saying. The freedom from not having to impress people is liberating on all fronts. 
I don't, it doesn't matter what people think if I'm right with God. God knows my heart. This is life. That's not bond. That's not scary. That's not, you know, honestly, we have this thing. Oh, God knows. God knows. What a gift that we're talking directly to God. On the flip side, though, if we don't embrace it, it's this. Verse five, here we go. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon those who heard these things. I'm with Francis Chan on this one. I don't think they were like, wow. I think people were freaking out. Um, Verse six, and the young men came and arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what happened. And Peter answered her and said, tell me whether you sold the land for, uh, for so much. And she said, yeah, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, (laughs) carrying her out, buried her by her husband. I believe that generally speaking, we love to read Acts 1 to 4 and 6 till the end. And we like to just skip this little bit because uh, verse 11, so great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. This is, the reality is when we think about that, it's like that had to be a one and done kind of situation. Like that had to be, I mean, that was, when the Holy Spirit is moving in power, there are extremes that happen. When the presence of God is manifested in our midst, there are things that happen. This wasn't God's um, wrath being poured out. This is holiness. This is holiness in action. And so these people directly came and decided to lie to the Holy Spirit. There was a specific thing. In fact, when it says, how have you agreed together in verse nine to test the spirit of the Lord? The word test there means scrutinize, entice, examine, or prove. Scrutinize, entice, examine, or prove. So let's put that in the context. How is it you have agreed together to scrutinize the spirit of the Lord? How is it you have agreed together to entice the spirit of the Lord? How is it you have agreed together to examine the spirit of the Lord? In other words, how is it you thought you were so high up that you got to question God? You got to challenge him on what is right. You got to actually come and present something to him that was faulty and entice him and and put a draw on him that is unholy. It says in verse 11, and so great fear came upon the church and upon all who heard these things. And then verse 12, and through the hands of the apostle, many signs and wonders were done among the people. Let's just leave this verse up there for a minute. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. The prior verse to this directly is, so great fear came upon the church and upon all who heard these things. What does this tell us? The fear of God makes room for a move of God. The fear of God makes room for a move of God. We are begging God to move. We as as believers, we are asking for signs, wonders, and miracles, but are we willing 
to fear the Lord? Are we willing to see him for who he is? Are we willing to lay down our choice of who we think he should be, of what we think God would look like, of what, what we perceive? Are we willing to take him at his word and trust that what he says about himself is true? Are we willing to believe that he is holy? And even though it's not culturally um, pleasing right now, he's right. He gets to put the bar where he puts the bar. He gets to set the standard where he puts the standard. And if we step into this, we understand that the fear of God makes room for a move of God. We want to be uh, clear again. We're not talking fear of religion. We are talking the fear of God. We are not talking the blockages and the boundaries that men have put together. We're talking about the fear of God. Number two, I owe him my life. So number one, he's God. We don't get to define him. Number two, I owe him my life. I exchange mine for his Again, Acts 17, 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. Paul said in Galatians 2, 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I love the boldness that Paul uses when he says this, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Paul has had this epiphany. He's had this revelation of who God is, and he's stepping into this, this um, walk with God for the rest of his days that is completely sold out. It's completely surrendered to God. But what we have to understand is that Paul actually came up in a total atmosphere of religion. He was, he calls himself Pharisee of Pharisees. He was trained, he was schooled, he was educated in the law. He knew all the rules. But once he knew Jesus and the fear of the Lord came upon him, in fact, it, the, the word says that he was like blown off his horse. He, was, he had this, this encounter with Jesus. He gets to the point where he says, I, I'm, not, I'm not living my life. It's his life that is living in me, which is a huge thing. Prior to Jesus, Paul served God, honored God, and he was zealous for God. All good things would look great on the outside, wouldn't it? He's a passionate pursuer of God. He is at the church whenever the doors are open. He's debating in Bible study. He's praying for people. He's doing the sacrifices and the serving. And he was wrong because he didn't yet know Jesus. He was raised with a partial truth that was wrapped in man's traditions. This, this basic thing, he was raised with a partial truth wrapped in men's traditions, is one of the biggest issues that we're facing in our society right now and in what they say is the falling away of the church. It is the deconstruction of faith. It's got a whole name. In fact, I just read a book called the, uh, Deconstruct Faith and Find Jesus. Pretty good book by Pastor uh, Preston Ulmer. But Paul, I believe, is one of the first deconstructionists. He had a well-formulated idea of what God was like, what he wanted, what he was for, what he was against, what people needed to do to make him happy. I mean, Paul was so zealous that he actually asked permission to hunt down the people that didn't do the things that he thought were the right things that they should be doing. Paul had to ask himself when he encountered Jesus, why do I even think these things? Something shifted on the inside of him. 
There's three rules of deconstruction. And if you look at this, I believe this is part of what Paul experienced when he had this moment with Jesus. Number one, we ask ourselves, where does this belief come from? Where does this belief come from? Now, what I'm talking about is shifting into, is it okay? Can I fully embrace fearing God? And not be afraid of church. Not be afraid of my faith. Not be afraid of Christianity. What does it mean to fear God? And in order to do that, sometimes we have to say, where does this belief come from? Some of us grew up with rules in all sorts of different ways. Um, I remember, you know, the different, different churches where it's like, you can wear pants for women. You can wear pants. Some churches are, you can't wear pants. Some churches, you can wear open-toed shoes. Some churches, you can't. Some churches, you can cut your hair. Some, you can't cut your hair. You can wear jewelry, not jewelry, makeup, not makeup. It's very confusing. These things, over time, people have been hurt by the church. And so we've got a generation of young people who are pausing and going, I actually, I think I believe in God, but I'm never going back to a church ever again. Why? I can promise you it's not because of the encounter they had with Jesus. It's because of the encounter they had with religion. It's because of the brokenness. And so the stuff that, that makes us afraid to even fear God in a holy way is often the man-made packaging that has been built on. And so Paul encountered this. And so going back to where does this belief come from? Is it actually in the word or is it church tradition? Is it somebody's belief system? It swings both ways. It's the extreme religious and it's the extreme grace. It's that everything's possible, everything's permissible, everything's forgivable, everything's whatever, you know, whatever you feel, God knows what, you know, he knows what you crave, he knows the struggle, he knows the whatever. What does the word say? Because excessive misapplied grace actually leads us to bondage. The wages of sin is death, period. And so that's not just in the eternal. When we're walking in simple behaviors, there is a death that comes upon our own life and we live a substandard life thinking that we're free instead of walking in holiness and experiencing the freedom and life of Christ. That's a false truth. So where does this belief come from? Right now there are churches disengaging from the truth of the word. There are translations of the Bible coming out where they're, they're taking out sections of it that are offensive to culture. Since when do we bow to culture? One day we will all bow before the living God and he's not changing his mind. So we have to come to the place where we say, okay, where does this belief come from? Number two, who's benefiting from it? Huh? Who's benefiting from it? Do you know we benefit often from a religious mindset? Why? Because we feel like we're doing something good. We feel like we have control. We feel like if we do all the right things, we feel like we're right with God. We feel like if I perform enough, I, I give enough, I do enough, I'm right with God. What does he say to me? On the flip side of it, if I live too loosely and I'm, I'm living just for what I feel, what I want, what my cravings are, what my natural, like, fleshy desires are, and I found maybe great church people who can agree with me, and they feel like, of course God understands. 
of course he gets it. I mean, he loves you. I, I'm going to find you an article about that. I, there's definitely, there's people who live that way all the time and God loves them. Who's benefiting that from that? The people who don't want to lose friendship, who don't want to, who don't want to be isolated, who don't want to have the, the separation. And so they, they make space for things. It's not truth. It's not love to actually tell somebody a false truth. Love is saying, this is what God says. If you're asking me, this is what he says. And most importantly, in my own life, I don't care if everybody says this is okay. You know that old thing, like if all your friends jumped off a bridge, would you too? Well, honestly, if all of society goes down the rabbit hole, I do not have to follow it. I want to stand before God clear on the inside because I have a fear of the Lord that motivates my decision and absolutely leads me to life. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you would have life and life abundantly. So Paul has this moment, and we're just going to pick up this one little passage, Acts chapter 9. So Paul's living in the, the depths of religion. He's living in the depths of, I, I'm afraid of you know, unrighteousness. I'm trying to do my best to serve God. I have this awareness of who he is. I've lived my whole life around God, you know. And then he has this encounter with Jesus in Acts chapter 9 and starting at verse uh, 3. This is after Paul has asked for permission, because religion does this, to pull down other people to imprison other people, to chastise other people. He's gone and he's, he's asked for special letters to go after people. And it says in verse three, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goats. I am Jesus who you are persecuting. It starts off with Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He was so passionately right. that he went after people just for loving Jesus. He just went after, he was so passionately right. And when Jesus spoke to him, he didn't say, why are you persecuting the innocent? Why are you persecuting, you know, my followers? He said, why are you persecuting me? When we talk about this concept of I give you my life, right from the very beginning, the epiphany that Paul had was, when I touch God's kids, I'm touching him. When I am persecuting God's kids, I'm persecuting him. When I come after God's kids, I'm coming after him. And it caused him this immediate ability to step into the deconstruction zone of everything that I've known up until this point, I actually have to reevaluate. The idea of the fear of the Lord, and he is God, he is not defined by us. He is purely who he is, and therefore I owe him my life. 
is not just about me laying down my life. It's about me picking up his. It's about suddenly I step into the place where if there needs to be justice, God will execute justice on my behalf. If there needs to be an answer, God will answer on my behalf. If there needs to be a defense, God will defend on my behalf. I step into this place where I'm part of his, his lifeline. I'm part of this, this flow of the kingdom of God on the earth because I'm living completely spent on him. There's an awareness of this that shifts. God talks to Ananias and he says, I mean, further on in verse uh, 15, God sends Ananias to go after uh, Paul and to minister to him. And uh, so we'll start at verse 13. Then Ananias answered and said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. For my name's sake. Jesus was saying, I don't actually care what he's done. I care who he is, and I care what he's about to do. Ananias stepped into that place to minister to Paul, not because he thought this is a brilliant evangelism moment, but because the fear of the Lord was on his life. And God said to him, Jesus said to him, this is the one I've chosen. So Ananias said, okay, I'm in. The things that God is calling us to do in this hour will require us to have the reverence for who he is, the awe for who he is, and yes, the fear for who he is. The fear of the Lord should motivate our actions. And Paul has this kind of encounter Ananias has this kind of encounter. In verse 20 of Acts 9, it says, Immediately, Paul preached, in, uh, preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. He went from, I've got, I've got arrest warrants in my bag, to, <laughs> to actually... Turns out these guys are right. The living God is the living God. That Jesus is actually the Christ. He had this turnaround in a moment. What does that? Not the process of thinking ourselves into a new way of life. The fear of the Lord changes us like that. It shifts us. It moves us from the inside out. Mark 7, 6 to 8 Jesus uh, is talking and it says he answered and said to them, he's talking to the Pharisees. He said, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. The fear of the Lord deconstructs or strips off all the stuff, if, if there are things that we've been through where we feel like, you know, I, I really struggle with that. I've been hurt by that. I've been damaged by that. I don't know if I can commit to a church. I don't know if I can serve. I don't know if I can go. This has been my experience. It is worth pausing in prayer with the fear of the Lord saying, God, I'm serving you. And these things that I have walked through are they the things that are the vain teachings and doctrines of men? Have I been damaged by people? 
Have there been issues in my life that I have bumped into that have caused me compromise because of people? And if so, I'm walking this through with you. I'm choosing to let it go. Because if God says go, or God says commit, or God says do, or God says serve, and our answer is, but I was hurt in church. Let me tell you, the fear of God will trump the fear of hurt every time. There has to be a place where we let it go and we say, God, I know that you can be trusted. I know that you are worthy and you have my yes. And the times when there's, there's things that we have let be loose and we've let, you know, you can find people around you always who will say, I can understand how you can't forgive. I can understand. I mean, I can understand. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a trauma that, you know, you just can't get over. Do you know what, like, legitimately, the answer for that is, like, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not saying we should all say that to each other, but, I, you know. The reality is, life is in what he tells us to do. Paul had this encounter with Jesus, and he had to backpedal and go into Jerusalem. And it's like, so, Stephen, who you're still grieving. Yeah, I was there. Um, my bad. Um, did not realize that he was actually right. But now that I've met Jesus, uh, let me tell you about what the truth is. And he literally shifted gears in the presence of God. He learned to love. He learned to uh, minister out of a place of servanthood. He ministered as a father. He ministered as one who is like the servant of the servants. He went from being the, I have all the answers to I'm the one who's pouring my life out. It shifted. And the basic pure commandment that he stepped into after all the rules, hundreds of them, that Paul was well-versed in, he really stepped down to what are the basics, the pure commandments. And I'm gonna have uh, Mel come, and we're just gonna finish with this today. Matthew 22, 37 to 39. And this is where Jesus, the basic stuff, the fear of the Lord, you know, when we, when we talk about that, that word, like we heard in the video, it's so, it's so intimidating. That phrase is so intimidating. Ah, the fear of God. But the fear of God is literally just seeing God for who he really is. He is above it all. He is the final say. He is the one who holds my breath. He is purely holy. He is purely just. He is absolutely above and beyond. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end and everything in between. And he is also pure love. That combo, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the justice of God, and the nature of the love of God allows us to completely trust him. What I'm saying in all of this is when, when we love God, when we know he is who he says he is, it demands our lives. It demands that we actually live our lives for him and with him. And when we read about how, why is it you are persecuting me, Jesus said, it means that it matters how we care for one another. If I'm walking and I'm not living my life, Christ is living in me. Then you treat me like garbage. You better be concerned about the big guy who's following me. You want to gossip about me? You want to accuse me? You better be concerned about the fact that I walk carrying the living God. I don't have to defend myself. He will defend me. 
I'm saying that in the first person because sometimes it's easier for us to associate that with somebody else. Now, put it on your own life. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to set up your own boundaries and your own walls and your own safety nets. You live in the fear of the Lord. Doesn't matter what men say about you. Doesn't matter what the systems say about you. It doesn't matter what the pressures from the outside are. You live in the fear of the Lord. Your pursuit is to honor Him with every day and every breath that you have. And because of that, when something comes against you, Jesus is like, why are you persecuting me? Why are you saying that about me? How is it you contrive to lie to the Holy Spirit? It matters how we love God and it matters how we love one another because of the fear of the Lord. It's not just that I'm gonna stand before God one day and give an answer and account for every word that I've said and it's between me and Him. He is looking for how I treat those He's placed in front of me. Isn't that a big deal? Some have been hurt in church world, no question. I guarantee you, every one of those situations comes before the throne of grace. There's a, there's a place where it has to land in forgiveness and grace because God's gonna hold things to account. And it's only by the forgiveness of God. It's only by the grace of God. So we can leave it with him and we can decide, God, I am serving you completely. I'm living my life for you. I am trusting you to defend me. I'm trusting you to be my guard and my shield. And I am going to do my best because I fear you to see the people around me with a holy reverence to love the people around me with a holy reverence, to serve my spouse, to serve my children, to serve at my workplace, to serve in this house, to serve in my community with a holy reverence. It doesn't matter what's culturally acceptable. It matters what he says is right. The purest commandment and the simplicity of the gospel. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What does the word actually say? I am pretty sure there's nothing in here about women wearing open-toed shoes. I haven't found it yet anyway, other than, you know, take your sandals off your feet. It's holy ground. So I'm like, let's open it all up. But it does say on repeat, Love God with everything and love those around you in that same holy way. So this morning, just as we finish, and I know the kids are done, we're a little longer today, but we're just gonna close with this song. You are free to go. I'm gonna just pray a closing blessing, but the holiness of God, the fear of the Lord lands in the holiness of God. It's not that he's mean. It's that he's holy. He's holy. And we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us any places where we have a false image, where we've attached religion 
to the place that actually just belongs to God, where we've stood off a distance from Him because we don't understand the fear of the Lord. We've, we've you know, attached that to the fear of church or the fear of, of church gatherings. We wanna ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us if there's any place that we have been casual with Him. Honestly, the fear of the Lord should move us in every decision we make, in every dollar we spend, in every statement we, we give. The fear of the Lord should model for us the way our life looks and in it is freedom. In it is life abundantly. In it is joy unspeakable and full of glory. In it is His presence. The fear of the Lord is about pursuing the one who holds it all together. So God, today, we thank you for your word. We thank you that as we look at the book of Acts, we can see signs, wonders, and miracles. We can see prison breaks. We can see healings. We can see transportation happen supernaturally. We can see people operating in the gifts of the Spirit. And we also see a holy fear of God that is accompanying everything that is done. And Lord, today we thank you for this, this reminder we thank you, Lord, that you are not defined by us. You are not defined by humanity. You are not defined by culture. You are not defined by earth systems. It doesn't matter what's popular today. You are God. You have always been and you will always be. And so, Lord, today we ask you to reveal to us any place where we've... we've um, dulled you down in our own mind and our emotions where we know things are, are true in the word but God we've compromised and we've allowed the outside things to shape who you are or areas where we have decided that we can earn your approval areas where we've decided that if we do things right you should be happy with that areas where we feel like if we've done enough you should be pleased God we worship you because you're holy we worship you because you're God and Lord, today we thank you as well that because you are that, you are worthy of our lives. You are worthy of the direction and the focus and the attention of our lives. God, you are worthy to be loved and adored. You are worthy, Lord, to be the central focus of all that we do. Lord, we ask today that in places where we have drifted and, and held back because of outside things, God, outside uh, uh, influences of compromise or outside influences of hurt and church pain, whatever it is, God, help us to de deconstruct down to the truth that you alone are God and you are worthy. Lord, help us to come back to the very core reality of our walk with you. Help us to wrestle out the things that need to be wrestled out even in this coming week, even in this coming summer. God, help us to wrestle off what needs to be wrestled out. God, that we would come to you with a pure heart, ready, willing, and able, God, to live fully in you. God, I thank you that you show us today the deeper places of your holiness. Lord, where we've been afraid to come too close. I thank you, Lord, that the fear of the Lord actually bids us come. Help us to understand the mystery, to walk in the mystery, to pursue you. And we thank you for transformation in our hearts and lives and our families, our marriages, our parenting, our workplaces, our community. 
Help us to be a people who know their God, who are strong and do great exploits. And we thank you for it today, God, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.VictoryGP.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.